0: Well, let's listen to this, James 5, 7 through 12. This, beloved, is the word of God. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would help us to understand these words since they come from your heart and your mind. Help us always to connect these words to Jesus, and we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would make Jesus, irresistible to us afresh, that you would make Jesus more beautiful, that you would make Jesus trustworthy and eternally trustworthy to us again and again. We pray this knowing that you can do whatever you wanna do, Lord. So have your way with us, deal with us, rebuke us, challenge us, encourage us, equip us to do every good thing this week. We pray through Jesus. Amen. If you will, think with me for a moment. Um, Do you remember what it was like to go on vacation a few years ago? Do you remember what it was like to, I don't know, talk on the phone to shop a few years ago? You know, depending on how much experience you have in this room this morning, there were times when travel uh, would basically occur without TVs and video games and stuff in the car. If, If you have more experience, you might even remember a time in which you traveled that there weren't even any seat belts. And that there were these cars that had a third row, but the third row faced out the back window. Do you remember some of this? Do you remember what it was like to talk to someone on the phone? You know, like not too long ago, not too many years ago, there wasn't texting. So you actually had this little device like you have now where you just had to call someone. And it was so much more convenient than what happened before that. Do you remember the other phones that used to be attached to the wall of your house? If, if, if some of you have more experience, and those of you that have never heard this before, I'm about to blow your mind there was an actual phone that had numbers and this plastic circular thing around the numbers, and you had to, like, put your finger in that hole and bring it all the way around to the other end uh, just to dial one number. And it really burns you up if someone had a lot of zeros in that because if you mess up one number, you got to hang up and start all over again. Doesn't that sound crazy? I mean, in the world in which we live, um, we don't… Some of us don't like talking to people on the phone. We'd rather just text, right? Do you remember what it was like to shop? You know, if you have some experience, you know that there actually was a time not too many years ago in which shopping malls started. Remember that? And now they're virtually obsolete. I mean, why would you go to a building with all these stores in it when you wanna go to one store and you can find that store at Amazon? And you click once, and boom, you got it. Do you remember what it was like to travel and talk to people and, and shop? It seems like every every advancement in our world is toward convenience, uh, comfort, uh, toward eliminating patience. Right? I mean. Again, think about these things. Um, Think about how much communication has changed because people are impatient and comfort-driven. I had a conversation with someone this week, not any of you. They asked me a question, and I started answering the question, and they started walking away twice during the time when I was giving my answer. By the way, it had nothing to do with theology or anything like that. I wasn't droning on and on. They asked me a very simple question about a particular drink that I, w- that I was sharing with somebody, and they asked me, like, what it was, and I started to answer, and they literally started walking away. They wanted a two-second answer. You ever notice yourself pulling away from people because they're taking too long? I realize the irony of that as I stand up here, <laughs> but do you ever notice your attention all over the place? You can't focus? Um... My wash machine has a 15-minute cycle on it. It's amazing. I mean, I can get loads of laundry done. Didn't used to be that way. Um, those of you that are into gaming, have you ever thought about how gaming has affected your view of failure and loss? You know, when you game, if something isn't going the way you want it to go, you just hit reboot or restart, and, and you don't have to deal with failure. You don't have to deal with loss. It just isn't going the way you want, so Start over, when actually there's tremendous value in trying to work through a failure. But we just view failure as, I can avoid that, get over there, don't talk to me, don't mess with, with me about that. The more that we crave speed, the more that we crave comfort, the more that technology moves things toward impatience. Do you realize how more impatient we get? The more speed is, is accessible to us, the more we want it, and yet, the more impatient we become. you notice that? These verses are all about patience. So this morning, what we're gonna talk about together is this, how can we become a patient people? How can we become a patient people? How does the cross work patience into us? How can we be more patient? Because we are so impatient that we worry and are anxious and if something can't happen immediately, we think, oh, I don't want anything to do with it, right? Don't y'all feel that? I hope I'm not the only one. How in the world can we become a patient people? Three things we'll look at this morning. The first one is this. Patience is really, really important, verses 7 and 8. Two, grumbling, verse 9. Third, We have to learn patience, verse 10 and 11. So patience is really, really important, grumbling, and then we have to learn patience. So let's jump in. Verses seven and eight talk to us about, actually all these verses talk about the importance that patience is really, really important. Look at verse seven and eight and 10. You have patience twice in verse seven, once in verse eight, once in verse 10. In verse 11, you have the word steadfast, twice. God is really pressing into us that this idea of patience is really, really big. It's really, really, it really matters. It's really important that we think about being patient. Matter of fact, he even attaches it to this imagery of being a farmer. Did you notice that in verse seven and eight? You know, growing in Christ's likeness and growing as a follower of Christ is, is like farming, not writing code. Most of us have grown up thinking that following Jesus is getting the algorithm right, putting in the proper input so we can get the output that we want. But God constantly tells us that, no, walking with Jesus and following Jesus and growing in Christ's likeness is way more like farming. In Palestine, it says that they're waiting for the early and the later rains. Well, in the Palestinian world, um, rain comes around October and then March or April. So the point is that God's people were working and serving and fulfilling their callings. And as they were thinking about all those things, they had to wait for God to send the rain. And they would sow seed in the ground and then they would wait for rain and then they would pray for more rain and then the harvest would come and then rain would come again. They were completely dependent upon God. Sometimes rain was sent and sometimes it wasn't. Do you realize how amazing a metaphor that is of our lives? Every day you're sowing things. Every day you're planting seed. Every day and you're waiting on God to do whatever it is he's gonna do knowing that he's been working through you and everything you've been doing. Farming. Farming is the analogy. Farming is the mentality. Farming is the metaphor to understand what growth is like. Because farming requires an awful lot of patience, doesn't it? Farming requires us to wait. You see, what else he does, I guess I'll say this. The point is, there is value to disappointment. There there is value in things not happening on your timetable. There's actually value to that. There's value in you not getting your own way. There's value in not everything being easy. There's value to all of that. All of it. There's value to not being in control. Well, when you look at verse seven and eight, do you see another reason why patience is really, really important? Look what it's tied to. What, what encourages us to be patient? Why is patience such a big deal? Because God is coming back. Do you notice that? About three times in these verses it talks about the return of Jesus. Judgement is coming. What, what, what God is saying here through James is that the future, what God has planned in the future makes a difference in our everyday life. What God has planned in the future should make us patient people. Here's the thing. God has promised to be merciful and gracious and to pursue us with mercy and grace all of our days. As one man has said, uh, Future grace, the promise that God has for us in the future strengthens us in the present. So if your view of the future is that "Mm, everything is going to be super scary and everything's going to get worse and worse and worse until Jesus swoops in and takes everybody out, that's not the right view. That doesn't breed patience. That engenders fear. That engenders impatience. That encourages escape. But God wants us to be working and serving because we know that the future is inevitable. I'll put the future in two words. Jesus wins. If you want me to add to that? He wins because he already won. Uh, Let's review. What president and world leader has defeated Christianity in 2,000 years? Tell me. None. What army has overthrown the gospel in 2,000 years? Do you remember this? None. What dictator has overthrown Christianity anywhere in the world? None. What disease has overtaken Christianity? None. None. Let that sink in. The, the devil knows his time is short. Remember, we talked about that. Again, do you? Do you know that his time is short? Because he does, beloved, we have a future that is absolutely certain, it's absolutely full of grace, it's absolutely full of the reality that Jesus has won. And if Jesus has won, that means that evil will not win. Do you get it? That means that we shouldn't be distracted by what we think the devil may be doing here and there. and over that. We need to focus on the truth of what Christ has accomplished. And that he's gonna return, and you know what's gonna happen when he returns? We've talked about this over and over. Everything's gonna be restored. There's gonna be a new heavens and a new earth. The new Jerusalem's coming down. All things will be made new. We won't sin anymore. There'll never be disease anymore. There'll never be death anymore. There'll never be tears of sorrow anymore. That's our future. And if all that is true, can't we be patient? Do you see? We can be patient because we're resting in the reality that Christ is coming back and we already know what he's gonna do because he's already defeated death. It means we don't have to be bitter. It means that we don't have to have an enemy to exist to keep us going. It means that we know what Christ is going to do and we know he's coming back and we know he's gonna make all things right so we can exhale and we can be patient. Patience is a really big deal because it's tied to what you think of Jesus and what you think he's actually accomplished and what you think he's going to do in the future. Patience is a really, really big deal. Matter of fact, I read this this week, I wanna read it to you, it's a quote from someone. When things are delayed or when you go through detours in your life, and when you have disappointments, when your plans are ruined, when your expectations are not met, we can move forward because we know God ultimately has a plan. God ultimately is up to something good. The quote continues. Willingness patience is willingness to wait for God in the unplanned places and unplanned paces of following him. Patience is the willingness to wait for God in the unplanned places and unplanned paces of following him. Beloved, things are moving toward a glorious end. And by grace, we're part of that. That's why he says, patience is a really, really big deal. Fix your heart, look at verse eight. Fix your heart on this. When Jenny was pregnant, we went to a class together. And in this class, I learned a lot of things that I guess I could be better off without knowing. I mean, I was glad I learned them, but I learned that when you know women become pregnant and the babies grow inside of them, um, The babies, as they grow, smash organs and push everything out of the way, you know? Some of you have actually experienced this. I just got to see it on diagrams. And one of the things that they were teaching us was how to breathe, you know? When when contractions hit and things are going on inside of you, ladies, you know what I'm talking about. You have to know how to breathe. When James says, fix your heart, he's saying, breathe. No matter what contraction is happening in your life, whether your plans are ruined, whether you're disappointed, whether it's just not the timing you wanted, whatever is contracting in your life and flexing around your plans and your agenda, breathe. That means fixing our heart on Jesus. That means seeing that Jesus is our bread, seeing Jesus as our light, seeing Jesus as our water. It means seeing Jesus as everything that's normal that we need so that when we go through whatever we endure, we're just breathing, trusting him. And that doesn't mean we can't do so without tears or frustration or grief or sorrow. God will change us through all of these things. Well, fixing our heart also parallels this unbelievable statement I just wanted to share with you. This, you can consider this a sidebar if you want. The Gospel of Luke gives us the story of Jesus. And if you read the Gospel of Luke, you can read all that's going on and then you get to chapter nine. And if you continue to read, you come to this amazing verse, 51 of chapter nine, and it says, Jesus, fixed his face to go to Jerusalem. It's the turning point in the entire account of Luke, Luke's entire account. It's the same word, same root word in Luke nine fifty one as it is here in James with fixing your heart. It's saying that there's a gravitational pull to the life of Christ. He had to go to the cross and everyone could see it. They could come and try to talk to him when they saw, but they saw his face and he was going to the cross. And beloved, we are told by our Savior to pick up our cross and take it daily. Therefore, fixing our heart is fixing our attention on Jesus and learning that He's with us, where He becomes oxygen, like oxygen for us, no matter what we're going through. Well, without patience in our lives, guess what happens? We grumble. Look at verse nine, we grumble. He says, brothers and sisters, don't grumble against one another. As you read back through the book of James, you should be astounded with the fact that God isn't into behavior modification. He's after your heart. He talks about dispositions and attitudes. You know, showing partiality, uh, forgetting God, Spending your money on yourself, now grumbling. He's concerned about our attitudes because he's concerned about our hearts because he's after our heart because when he addresses our heart and changes our heart, then our lives look different. So here he is pointing out grumbling that we have a tendency to grumble. We have a tendency to be critical. We have a tendency to nitpick. We have a tendency to just complain. And it's because we're impatient. It's because we forget what Jesus has done and what he's going to do. It seems like James is saying the cure, the key to dealing with our grumbling has to deal with judgment. He follows that up by saying, hey, God's at the door. Did you notice that in verse nine? Don't grumble. Brothers, don't grumble with each other. Brothers and sisters, don't grumble with each other. Stop complaining about each other all the time. The judge is at the door. In other words, the key to not grumbling is this, that we need to have a present sense of how patient God is with us. Because if we have a fresh sense of how patient God is with us, we can then be patient toward other people. To press that even further, the way that we treat people reveals how we assume God treats us. Take that in. Think about that. If you think that God relates to you through rules, then you have a tendency to relate to everyone else according to rules. Some of them are expectations that are known and some of them are not. If you think that God is constantly dissatisfied with you and angry with you, then guess what? You're probably gonna be dissatisfied and angry with everyone else. If you perceive that God is gentle with you and has been gentle with you, then you probably will be gentle toward others. You see how it makes sense? In other words, look at your life. How do you relate to people? Because how you relate to people is getting at how you think God relates to you. And beloved, we will all face the judgment of God, either in our own selves, individually appearing before God, saying, hey, this is my life, or we will appear before the judgment through Christ, and the fact that Christ has been judged in our place. Do you see? So if you want to grumble and complain, just know, God is the God of mercy and grace, God is the being that loves you unconditionally and has done everything for you in Jesus. So if you want to continue to grumble and complain, God's at the door. And he certainly will look at what you're doing and assess your life based upon how you lived apart from Jesus. But if you know Jesus, then you know how patient God is with you and how loving he is with you and how kind he is towards you so that you then could be patient and gentle and kind with others. You see how that works? So if you grumble a lot, think about, spend time thinking about how you, what you really think God's disposition is towards you. Because the living God, the God of the Bible, is full of grace and mercy and patience. Well, that leads us to this, that we have to learn patience. Look at verse 10 and 11. When you look at verse 10 and 11, you find that James is giving us examples to encourage us. In other words, what does a patient person look like? What does it mean to be patient? How, how can I catch how someone else is living well, you got to look at their lives and study their lives. And James says, well, here's some examples for you for your encouragement. Think about the prophets. So I'm going to pick out three. Hopefully you'll know at least two of these. I want you to think about Jeremiah. Jeremiah was set apart by God. You can read about this in chapter 1 of, his, of, uh, of the prophecy of, of Jeremiah. Jeremiah was set apart by God so that Jeremiah would would preach a message to God's people in which he would basically be tearing them down to build them up again. And God tells Jeremiah, you know what? People aren't gonna like your message and they're not gonna listen to it. And Jeremiah ended up getting thrown in a pit and all kinds of stuff. And the message was that God said to his people through Jeremiah, hey, you've rebelled against me and because of that, you're gonna go into exile through these people called the Babylonians. Do you think people liked hearing that message? That you're going to live in exile in a godless place. Hmm, Sound familiar? And then Jeremiah had to tell the people, you know what? When you go to this place, when you're in exile, guess what? You need to pray for that place. And you need to seek the welfare of that place. Because as you pray for them and seek the welfare of this pagan place, you will find welfare and you will find peace. Wow. Wow. People didn't like that either. What do you mean I have to love this place? I have to pray for these people. I have to serve this community. They don't give a rip about you, God. Jeremiah, we don't like you either. We don't like you bringing that message. And Jeremiah, no matter what the opposition was, kept proclaiming the goodness of God because the day was coming in which Jesus would arrive. What about Hosea? You've heard of this guy. You know what God tells Hosea. Hey, Hosea, I want you to go marry someone who will be unfaithful to you. Because, Hosea, you need to understand how my relationship with my people, what it's like. That my people are unfaithful, constantly unfaithful. And when you take this wife who's gonna be unfaithful to you and you have to go get her and bring her back and love her unconditionally, you'll understand how I relate to my people. Sound familiar? How about this one, Habakkuk? Oh, I, I love this one. If you want, you can read Habakkuk in the Old Testament. It's only three chapters Because it's this, I love it, because it's this dialogue between Habakkuk and God. And Habakkuk starts off by saying, God, do you not care about evil in the world? Do you not care about injustice in the world? He even says, God, you have purer eyes than to behold evil. And you're putting up with all of this? And God says to Habakkuk, oh yeah, I'm going to do something about it. My people are wayward and wandering, and I'm gonna bring the Babylonians in to take them captive. You see how all these things are connected? And Habakkuk says, God, your solution is worse than the problem. You're gonna use these people who want nothing to do with you, the Babylonians, to discipline your people? And from Habakkuk's perspective, he literally thought, these people are worse than your people. And God says, yep. I'm gonna use the Babylonians to discipline my people so that they will see me and know that I'm good. And oh, by the way, Habakkuk, I'm gonna deal with the Babylonians too. As a matter of fact, the day is coming in which righteousness and justice will be everywhere. So Habakkuk can write his song at the end of chapter three. No matter how bad things get, this is Dave's paraphrase, no matter how bad things get, God will be faithful and bring good out of hardship. Beloved, if you wanna learn patience, look at the prophets and what they went through. By our standards, their lives were were a complete failure. Jeremiah was was a horrible pastor. Hosea did something that was horrific. Habakkuk gets angry at God and talks to him and has to go back and forth and even has the audacity to say to God, God, your solution to this is horrible. And James says, if you want to learn patience, learn from the prophets. And then he mentions Job. Oh, you remember Job? Don't forget about Job. Here's the quick on Job. He lost everything. He had his wife. He lost all 10 children. He lost his livelihood. He lost his wealth, he lost his business, he lost everything. And he had friends who came to sit with him that were giving him advice, who were trying to figure out the problem and what the deal was. And he had a wife who gave him some advice. Her advice was, Joe, honey, curse God and die. And in between chapter two and three you have 30-some chapters where Job is dialoguing with those three friends and God. And beloved, do not take this verse in James that highlights the mercy of God and the goodness of God and interpret that by this, that the reason that we know that God is merciful and good is because he restored Job all these things and more. Please, please. Do not reduce God to someone that can be bought. Did his new family make up for all the loss that he had with his children dying? No. Did his new things that God gave him make up for all the grief that he still had processing all that happened to him before? No. Please do not reduce God to someone that can be bought. As if to say, if I just do the right thing and just hang in there, God's gonna give me way more material things than what I have now. That is an American capitalist, small g, God that is not the God of the Bible. Beloved, when you read the story of Job, look in chapter 42. What he says in verse five is this. My ears have heard of your glory, but now I have seen it. The point of Job, the reason why James is giving us Job to think about is that he doesn't want us to think that patience is passivity. He wants us to know that patience involves wrestling and and scrapping and arguing and grieving and understanding that life is hard He is assuming suffering and assuming challenging situations. He is assuming seasons of life that are unbelievably difficult, unbelievably difficult. And he's saying, through all of that, Job knew God in a fresh way. Because it's one thing to hear about God. It's another thing to experience his goodness and faithfulness. You see, Job didn't give in to the arguments of his friends. He didn't take the advice of his wife. He kept depending and clinging to God. Do you see? And James is saying patience is that going through hardship and staying the course, fixing your heart on Jesus. But here's the thing we need more than an example, don't we? It's not as though we can just read the prophets and read Job and be like, oh, well they did this and that gives me the power to do this. We needed the ultimate prophet to come. All those prophets that we have were all pointing us to Jesus. There's one person who suffered more than Job. His name is Jesus. We need more than an example to grow in patience. We need Jesus himself because he is the embodiment of patience. God was working to reveal the coming of Christ for thousands of years, and Christ came. And he endured hardship and suffering, the cross. And the cross is where we understand God's patience with us because of what Jesus has endured. Do you see? We need the cross because it helps us understand patience and suffering and obedience and growth and following God and changing because it was for the joy that was set before him. Jesus endured the cross. You know what the cross is? The curse, being made sin, judgment, punishment. He For the joy that was said before him endured all of those things for you and me. We need Jesus. We need all that he is for us. We need to remember that our life is following him in the way that he lived, so that he learned obedience to the things that he suffered. So here's this is the end. So let's get real granular and real practical. Because these are not easy words to hear, I know. So let's get real specific. If you're here and you have not experienced much suffering and hardship, put a pen in these verses. And know that when you do, it's the way for you to get to Jesus. Your hardships and your challenges and your suffering are not obstacles to overcome because God has something better for you. And if you haven't experienced much suffering or hardship, great, wonderful, bless God. But when you do, remember it's the way to Jesus. For those of you that grumble and need it right between the eyes, is everything worth grumbling about? Why are you so mad? Really, who has hurt you? What, what has happened in your life so that you incessantly critique and grumble and complain? What, what happened? Will you get help? Will you see that grumbling is not what God has for you in Jesus? Can you hear that? I'm trying to be gentle. God doesn't want you to crumble. But you're grumbling because you're hurt and angry. Something's happened. Will you address that? Will you deal with that? God will meet you there. For those of you that had been through suffering and hardship, God will do more than you can imagine through it. To make this very personal, I could say, Lord, where were you when the mass was growing in my body? Where were you when I got the C word? Where were you when I got cut on? Where were you when I was in pain? Where were you when I was struggling? And what God says to me is that I was guiding the scalpel. I was bringing this to your attention. I was caring for you and present with you the whole time, Dave. I was saving your soul. I was breaking you free from your self-centeredness and your pride. I was there doing every single thing that you need to become like Jesus. That's not easy for me to say, but I believe it's true. Beloved, Jesus is everything for us. In joy and sorrow in sickness, and in health. He will never leave or forsake us. He will be faithful, and he will bring us home.